0: Welcome everybody to today's episode of Always Bet on Black. I am your host, Paula Glover, and today I am super excited. And I know you hear me say that I'm super excited every single week that we do this. But I really am super excited today that we have with us Ralph Cleveland. He's the Senior Managing Director for Cleveland & Associates. He is also the incoming interim CEO of the American Association of and Energy. Um, Ralph is a just a phenomenal leader, um, a terrific friend. um, And I'm sure you will find out in this time that we are speaking together, he has um, the distinction of being the person who I believe has the best laugh of any person you will ever, ever (laughs) meet. So I do my best to try to get him to laugh because it just fills me with joy. Welcome Ralph, thanks for being here.
1: Oh no, my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: And I know he just wanted to laugh, but he's trying to keep it quiet. because He didn't didn't want to give it to me. (laughs) Um, So thank you so much for joining Always Been on Black. Um, I did not talk a little bit in my introduction about your career, because I know we're going to touch on some of that. Um, And so for the audience's sake, I will let you know that Ralph has had a 30 plus year career um, in the energy industry, and he has held senior... Very senior level positions at AGL Resources, at Nicor Gas, where he served as its president at AIG, um, and so on and so forth. So there's a lot for us to discuss. But I would like to start from the beginning, Ralph. Um, I know you are originally from Macon, Georgia. Is that correct?
1: That's right. Born and, tell, and raised.
0: Tell me a little bit about who you were as a kid. What kind <laughs> of kid were you?
1: Um. I was I was sort of the mix of a nerd, you know. I it, it, there were summers that I spent doing science projects. I mean that, but I also loved sports. I loved hanging out with my friends. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we back in those days we leave the house. You know, you had to get outside. Right. You you couldn't stay cooped up in the house. You know, so we had to get outside and just be home by the time the 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 lights come on. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the street lights come on and that was kind of the the life we lived. So um, and, and you know, developing the friendships there and and, um, you know, having developed a strong interest in building things and trying to understand how things work. That was always fascinating for me. And uh, and so, I mean, I I would test stuff up in the house, just see how it worked. <laughs> and uh, I, I, honestly, I look back on it now, I don't know how my parents got dealt with it, but they uh-huh. never they never discouraged me. Not yeah. once. I tore up like the, the stereo running wires back to my room so I could listen to music in my room and all that. I mean, just, just crazy stuff. And uh, it's funny, though, because I got, you know, my youngest daughter is kind of like that. You uh-huh. have her little projects. And, uh, and so now I know what my parents kind of went through, you know, with me. Cause every time I turn around, something's missing and mm-hmm. then it shows up in her little project somewhere.
0: So they saw something.
1: I, I think so. I, right. I think they just didn't want to discourage me. And so I'm, I'm, I'm actually very thankful for that. So mm-hmm. that that's kind of what let me know, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to be an engineer, at least. That's that's what I that's what I planned.
2: Yeah,
0: and so you decide you finish school and you end up going to Georgia Tech. Yep. Tell me so, about that. Why so, Georgia Tech and why engineering?
1: Yeah. So listen, here's the thing. You know, being from Macon, I thought, well, I might not get into Georgia Tech first off, and Did so you? I, you know, I might just become like a, a air conditioning repairman or something like that. I, I, honestly.
2: Really?
1: Oh, yeah. I thought, okay. hey, you know, a vocation. You know, I went to the governor's honors program in vocational education. <laughs> so <All right>. so <laughs> I was not, you know, I I didn't have It's The funny thing about sort of my progression and career. There, the my my CEO um, at AGL Resources, Paula Ross. But she used to say, the further you go, the further you see. Mm. because I didn't, I wasn't seeing it that far. I was just sort of taking it one step at a time um, and sort of envisioning what, what maybe potentially getting a degree looked like in engineering. And so when I was accepted to Georgia Tech, um, you know, I I could not, uh, and I tell this story to high school seniors all the time. I knew my parents couldn't afford to send me to college. So I knew I had to go someplace and be a co-op student, okay. meaning work a quarter, work, uh, go to school a quarter, work a quarter, and then use that to pay for my education. Sure. And so um, Georgia Tech had one of the larger co-op programs in the nation. There were a few others, few other schools, um, but the ones that I got accepted to were like in really cold climates. And I was like, no, thank you. <laughs> I I'm gonna, I'm gonna head over to Georgia Tech. And this is, this is what I'm doing. I was really I was thrilled to get accepted to Tech and got there. Uh, and I can so distinctly remember that, that conversation. Now they don't I understand they don't do this anymore, mm-hmm. but I know they probably did it at your school where oh, they look said on either look side on, of you. Yeah, look on either side, look to your right, look to your left. One of you won't be here. And I thought, you know, when I looked around, I'm looking at these folks, and I'm saying, man, they look, they look really sharp, bright, you know. So they're talking about me. I'm, I'm saying, man, I gotta, I gotta really work hard. I, that's the only thing I thought to myself was, they may be smarter than me, I don't know, but they're not gonna outwork me. Yeah. That it's was the fun- only thing.
0: Funny. So I sat through that at my school. And all I thought was, I know they're not talking about me because my mama told me I had to go to college. So <laughs> he must be talking to you because right. I had no backup plan except right. I was going to college and I was getting out of college. So yeah, be talk- I would look at them like, I'll be "Must be talking to you." Yeah, I I gonna gonna
1: be must be talking to you. I know I'm gonna be here in four years. Talking to me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I think now being, as you said, looking forward, as I reflect back on that, I think probably your perspective was a better perspective because I think you probably took the education a little bit more seriously than I did because it never occurred to me that I wasn't going to be there. Oh, like, yeah. That didn't cross my mind, right? So oh, I never got to, I got to work hard to stay because I was like, I don't know what you they're, they're talking about.
1: Yeah, no, I, I literally ran scared the first year. Now, you know, by the time I got to be a junior, I thought I had the hang of it, but um, I literally ran scared in that, that yeah. entire freshman year, yeah. uh, just because I felt like I, I was so far, I felt like I was so far behind everybody else because when we went to calculus, I had no idea what dude was talking about. Mm. I, I literally had, I, he could have been Charlie Brown's teacher up there. I had no clue what he <laughs> was. I, and so I would literally have to like stay up and study at least once a week, all night, just so I could understand the material, because I wasn't learning it in the classroom.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so that's kind of how I got my started. Start, and it turned out that that was probably the best thing for me was mm-hmm. to start a little bit behind everybody else and and run scared, because I learned to learn. Mm-hmm. I really didn't. I really didn't learn to learn, like. Going through, um, you know, high school, uh, you know, I was I was skating mostly. You know, it wasn't it just wasn't hard, and so to get to get to tech, where right off the bat I felt like I was thrown in the deep end. Um, uh, it was it was quite, you know, a shock, but it was the right shock for me.
2: Yeah.
0: So tell me a little bit, let's talk a little bit about this idea of learning to learn. Oh yeah. Right, because that, that's a skill. And would you say that that's something that you've continued to do throughout your career or is it that it got you through your education, graduate school, et cetera, and then you didn't need it anymore?
1: No, I, you know what I would say? Um, I learned this uh, probably when I was making my transition and thinking about, you um, I wanted to do, you know, I wanted to move from just being a sort of technical expert and a fully qualified engineer to a leader and a manager. There was there was um, some things I ran across that I thought were extremely um, relevant to making that transition. And it was, you know, in a in a changing environment, there are three things we all have to do. One is learn to learn. Uh, The other one is learn to relate to as many type different people as you can. Mm -hmm. And then the last one is learn how to make good decisions. And and so it's like those three things for me became sort of, okay, how do I get better? How do I get better at all of that?
0: And so how do you get better?
1: Wow. So, um, (laughs) <laughs> some of it is painful <laughs> some of it is just uh, being open okay uh, being open to to new experiences um, being open to learn more about uh, others Be- being um uh, and and the, I can say this for me as an engineer I had to learn how to... Leverage my um, imagination to to be empathetic, and because as an engineer, you're dealing with things, you're you're problem solving, um, and you know honestly, people were a mystery to me. Really? Oh my gosh! Yes. Um, And so it was only after I had really gone through, and even in my own personal relationships, after I had gone through sort of a few crashes and burns that I started, okay, I've got to focus on this. I've got to learn, truly learn um, people better. And you know where I had to start was learning myself better. For me, it was like the more I, insight I gained into what made me tick, the more insight I gained into my own strengths and kind of how, how I process things, it, 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 it was it was very gratifying to all of a sudden learn that, well, you know, how that might relate to other people. Not only how other people might be similar, but also how other people might be different. And because mm. of those differences, how they might respond differently in different situations, all of a sudden, for me, that awakened my imagination to be able to put myself in other shoes a, in a lot more effective way, I would say, than I ever had before. That was like a, a key, uh, a door opening for me. Mm. like. And, and I've since learned that that's kind of the way it works that we, you know, we, at some point now, some people are much better at it. If you're, that's why I always say I'm a recovering engineer, because that's why I use that phrase, because if you're, if you are an engineer and you live in the world of things and that's what you get really good at, you know, you're, you're not focusing on and learning people. Not only that, I'm a guy. So, <laughs> you know. gonna
0: unpack that one in the next hour.
1: Yeah, but, and, and, it, and, I, and I learned that, you know, I had, I, I had sort of the limitations of being a guy. Yeah. And what that means just in terms of how I, pro- the fact that, and I had to learn all this, Paula. Like the fact that I had to learn that it takes time for me to process my emotions. I had to learn that.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and even with my son now, I try to tell him, "Look, dude, don't do not keep your emotions all pent up inside. You got to learn how to process it." And I know right now he got no clue what I'm talking about. Yeah. But I know over time he will. He will have. He will. It will come a time when those words will ring true for him. Yeah. But but just going through that maturity process, right? Of and that development process and and that being able to put myself in other people's shoes that was that was a big step that was that was like crossing a chasm for me in terms of even what i would say is sort of the basis of you know what makes me an effective leader
0: so because this, this idea of taking kind of what I'm going to describe as you taking the time for real self-reflection, right? Kind of understanding who you are, how you think about things, how you interact with people. As you went through that process, were there things that you discovered about yourself that surprised you? Like, did the process end the way that you thought it would? Or do you, did you say, oh, you know, I hadn't, yeah, this is something about me. And, and I always find for myself, there are always times when you, you know, you have a moment of self reflection, or because you have children, your child will parrot something back to oh, you, yeah.
1: about you that yeah. you'll be like, oh, yeah. I mean, oh, it,
0: that it, is it, true.
1: Oh, yeah. It happens all the time. It could, for me, it can come through the kids
2: mm-hmm.
1: or it could come through a dream. Like, really? Yeah, it's like, okay, here's how I was reacting and responding in that dream. Here's what I mean, it's some some crazy situation, right? Mm-hmm. That would never happen in real life. But right, it's it's like, you know, just that sort of reflect you and you hit the right word. It's that reflection of, oh man. Um that, that's something about me I didn't really realize. And most of the time, it's I didn't realize that was different.
0: Give me an example.
1: I, I mean, I, honestly, uh, it took me a while to learn what my strengths were. Really? Oh, my gosh, yes.
0: How, how, how long did that take?
1: Oh, um,
0: and then how did you figure out what oh. they were?
1: Yeah, so I was I was probably going through my and getting my MBA when it really hit me. Hmm. And the reason it hit me is, I mean, like I said, at Georgia Tech, I was running scared most of the time. And so, so I really didn't have time to sort of reflect on, oh man, you know, there's some of this stuff that I'm really good at, it was just, Man, I got to get these grades. I got to get up out of here. I got to get a job. I was just—that's—it yeah. was that sort of sure. focus.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so when I went back to grad school, I already—I was married. I had kids. Um, I was going to Tulane. Uh, I was—I was working, and—and and I was—I was a first-line supervisor.
2: Mm.
1: And so I, there were times when I would be uh, struggling, you know, as a first-line supervisor. Because there were still some things I needed to experience and and get to know and understand just about leadership, mm-hmm. um, but I can remember sitting in that class thinking, and and it was just you know the interaction with others and the um, the way I was processing things, and and the value that I felt like I was bringing to my group in the group projects. Mm-hmm. I really began to see that it was different and how it was different. Okay. And that some of these things that I had not given a lot of thought around, um, the, whether it was the conceptual thinking, uh, whether it was you know, being able to um, see both you know, the, the, the pieces and the whole and how they interact, Sort what, what I would describe now as systems thinking. Okay. That that those were um, skills, abilities, or I don't know what capability. I don't know what you'd call them, but but that I I those were things that I was good at. Um, and also, over time, I've learned that something that almost comes a bit natural for me in terms of encouraging other people. Mm -hmm. I didn't, again, I didn't realize that was different. You know, I was just doing what in, in, in my mind would be, you know, what I would want other people to do for me in a similar situation. Okay. Um, But over time I've, I've learned that these things, um, that may become a bit more natural to me once I kind of got the keys. Like I said, I was able to make that sort of leap of applying my own imagination uh, and conceptual skills uh, to how people respond, react, behave, and even learning a bit more about how people grow and develop. you know, encouraging people to take that next step, um, encouraging people to see it bigger, encouraging people to um, reflect on their own strengths and abilities. Because the one thing I would I would say is, um, and I can I can just see the wheels turning when I do it. Because now I know, like I know the the like the triggers for me. Uh-huh. And I, I tend, I don't know why it is, but I tend to remember those either milestones or, or, or um, sort of the, the whether you, if you want to call it either a fork in the road or um, a road sign for me in terms of my own growth and development, I tend to remember those, like the epiphany that I had that turned it for me uh-huh. or the when the light switch came on for me. Like and I can see it sometimes when I'm when I'm sharing with others or I'm encouraging others. Like I can't tell you how many times when I've had conversation, like you know your, your normal like performance reviews
2: uh-huh.
1: with with employees. I can't tell you how many times when I make this one statement, I can tell those who really take it to heart versus those who just they it didn't click for them. And that is, look, I know you in your performance review, you wanna hear all about the things you gotta improve. And most people wanna spend all their time talking about that and what they can do to, to get better. But I wanna have also a conversation. I want that to be 20% of our conversation. I want 80% of our conversation to be, here's the stuff you just knocked out of the park. Yeah. And I what I want you to do is take that stuff And I want you to expand on it. I want you to have even greater impact in the organization and in the world using that stuff, because let me just tell you, that's different.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: It's like, if that light switch ever comes on for people, I just feel like that's a big deal.
0: Yeah, it it is a big deal. And I don't know, I'm sure you're familiar with StrengthsFinders, but that's what they actually talk about, that we spend a lot of time trying to, get better at the things that we're not good at when we really should spend more time getting better at the things that we're great at already. Yep. And that, that exceptionalism is actually far more valuable than trying to make yourself really good at something that maybe you just aren't good at because it's okay not to be good at things. It's okay That's that right. you're not great at everything. That's right. Right. And,
1: and no, I hadn't heard of them, but I will look them up now. Yeah.
0: The book strength finders. So okay. it really focuses. It's a test that you can take that tells you what your strengths are based on your personality. Oh, look at that. Yeah. Um, but it's all built around this idea that we shouldn't be trying to make people force. Won't make people focus all their attention on things they're not good at. Right. When they should really be leaning into their strengths.
1: Absolutely. And become
0: exceptional at those
1: things. I've seen that so many times that once, once, once you, once that clicks in for people, their contribution level just goes out, just it skyrockets. Yeah. Uh, But you got to have somebody, because again, I can, I can remember those times when I didn't know what my strengths were. And I didn't really know what was different about the way I process things. And so if you don't know, you don't know to bring that to the table on a consistent and ongoing basis and and how others might react and respond to it so that you can can package it in a way that is more uh, easily digested, I guess is, a, is the word, or more easily accepted by others for the yeah. value that it is. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So you said something about, you know, you didn't know at one point how to leverage your imagination to be empathetic. Oh, yeah. I'll share a little bit more about what you mean by that. And I, I love just even how you phrased it, right? Leveraging your imagination to be empathetic. Yeah, I
1: mean, I mean, empathy is truly that thing of being able to come alongside someone and and imagine, put yourself in their shoes and imagine how they feel. Yeah. Imagine how they feel. And if you can imagine how they feel, then that awakens at least some level of um Empathy and compassion—at least it does for me.
2: Yeah.
1: And um, actually, what I find is the more I'm in touch with you know my own sort of emotions and kind of the ups and downs that I go through, the better I'm able to recognize what's happening with others, and maybe some things that that I might be able to share with them that gives them some some either some insight or at least. Helps them to know that hey, there's having just having someone who might understand what you're going through, even though they may not be able to do a, a damn thing about it, right? Yeah. But at least knowing that someone else understands what you're going through, a lot of times that that in and of itself is cathartic.
0: Yeah, yeah. So let, sticking with that side this this topic around empathy talk to me a little bit about how you use that in your own leadership
1: yeah so and and literally that I'm still I still lapse back into my sort of engineering because I I can easily go into task mode and when yeah. I'm in task mode it's like we got objectives I'm I'm like I'm hard driving um you know we're gonna get these results <laughs> you know that I'm in that mode. Yeah. Right. And I'm driving myself as hard as I I, you know, challenge other people. Sure. And so there are times when I will slip into that and not apply my imagination to put myself in other people's shoes because I'm I'm using it at that point. I'm I'm suffering from that male thing. I can't do but a few things at a time, at least well. And so <laughs> I'm in task mode and I'm getting it done. And Honestly, it takes people around me that know me to kind of, you know, pull my either pull my coattail or pull out the two by four and say, wait a minute, you're not, you're not paying attention to what's happening with these people around you. Yeah. And so now once once I get that signal and I stop and I reflect and I apply my imagination to put myself in other shoes, then it all clicks for me then I can say, oh, okay, here are some things I need, I need to personally do to adjust as a leader. But then also here are some things I might need to do to either encourage or to challenge differently or adjust my leadership style based on the subjective views and what other people are going through. Because I still wanna get to the objective But now I'm I'm actually being, at that point, I'm being a lot more creative about how to even craft the messaging, right? To my team, to my fellow teammates on, here's what we got to get done. I know, hey, look, and I learned these words. I know how you feel. I felt the same way, but here's what I found. And, and that at least, you know, will help me uh, to relate to what they're going through a little bit better. If I will stop, even if I don't say it that way, but I think that through, I know how you feel. And now let me, let me when I say that, I want it to be genuine. And so what gives me the ability to know how they feel? What situations have I been through that are similar? It might, it's never gonna be the same, but it's similar. What, you know, I, I, and when, so when I say, I know how you feel, I felt the same way in whatever situation that it truly is genuine. But you, and again, you, you even have to be careful when you do that, cause you don't, you don't want, you don't want to make it seem like you're marginalizing what anybody else is going through. You don't really know, but. Yeah if you apply your imagination, you might at least approximate, have some idea and have some compassion for what they're going through. And I think that's what ultimately shines through that if, if you're leading with compassion, but you're still challenging to get to the goal, I think the combination of those two things really sort of Draws people in, um, and it it creates, I think, an, some some key elements of trust.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and and so those are the, that's sort of the way I've used my my imagination. But again, there are times when I need to be triggered by someone else who's seeing the situation that knows me, that knows hey. He's in task mode right now and he's missing it. Yeah. So, and that's the thing. That's the thing. You got to surround yourself with people who are willing to um, help shore up the areas that you have might have some shortcomings. And you had, I got to tell you, so often I see leaders who are afraid to do that. Yeah. First off, they don't want to even admit their own shortcomings. And then second off to put people around you that are good at it, who might outshine you. Yep. <laughs> and I'm like, and I'm looking for those people.
0: Right. Yeah. Well, there's, you know, it, it seems as if maybe there's almost a shift. There's been a shift that's gone, not just recently, but that's gone on for some time now about what it is, what are the characteristics of really strong leaders and We've had um, a gentleman by the name of Professor Robert Wilkinson, who teaches leadership and negotiation at um, Harvard Kennedy School, twice I've had a chance to talk to him. He's talked a lot about, one, about this idea of empathy, um, particularly as it relates to being able to influence and change decisions, and your ability to listen with empathy Yeah. all of a sudden allows you to do these other things that you wanna do. But you just said something um, that I have not heard before, which is leading with compassion, right? Um, Which is not something that I think we would necessarily think about business leaders, right? So leading with compassion as an educator, those two things seem to go together. Or leading with compassion because you're in um, social services that seems to go together. Um, but when you're saying as as you are, right, a person who has, you know, you've been the president of a large company, right? So you you've been managing yep. large businesses. Right. What does leading with compassion look like for you? And then why? Why would you lead with compassion? And then tell me, like, just show it, tell us what that looks like. How do you do yeah.
1: that? Yeah. Well, let, let me, let me, let me just tell you a premise of mine. And that is, and there's probably there's a book out there, I think, of this title, you know, business at the speed of trust. Mm. And so, you, when it, truly, if you look around and you see the dynamics of what happens within any sort of leadership team or uh, work team and, and that sort of thing, if there's no trust, th- things just can get sideways so quickly. Yeah. And the recovery time associated with that in terms of mending the fences, in terms of being able to make quality decisions, I mean, ultimately, as a leader, your your greatest currency is making quality decisions. And so if, if you're not making decisions in a way that creates a bond and a trust, at some point, when things get sideways, it's going to be difficult for you to recover. And... And we all go through, we, there's gonna be challenges, there's gonna be hiccups. That, I mean, there are gonna be these things that occur. That's part of life. That's part of achieving anything. Because if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. So, so you're gonna have challenges and, you, and you're, you're gonna reach a point where, you know what? Um, you know, we're, we're at an impasse and we gotta make a decision and guess what? It, it, at this point, I can't, I can't wait for the group to get there. I got to make a decision. It's not a democracy. Right. How many people are going to follow you? How many people are going to make that decision work? How many people are going to make that decision stick? And if you're not leading with compassion, the only other thing you got then, because I, I, I just don't believe in the long run the other way works, which is leading with fear. Yeah. I, I just, I, I don't think it works in the long run.
2: Yeah.
1: And so, and and honestly, you know, a big part of the reason I do it that way is because I want to be able to sleep at night. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, it just, um, and that does, again, that doesn't mean that you don't have to make some tough decisions but if you make the tough decisions and even knowing that it's going to have a negative impact on some people in the short term, you know, as a leader, you got to make those calls and you got to make that decision and you need to make them in a timely manner. You don't need to put it off. Yeah. I, I, I tell people, look, bad news is not like wine. It does not get better with time.
0: <laughs> Pull that bandaid off.
1: Yeah, you got to deal with it, make the decision, make the decision you need to make and move on. And you see so many people just really struggling with making a decision. It's like, I, and I tell leaders all the time, I'd rather you make a decision and me give you feedback than sit and stall and make no decision. Yeah. It's easier to steer up a, a car that's moving down a road it doesn't matter <laughs> if you're stalled; stall, you're not making progress. I can steer it better if you're making decisions and keep moving. Yeah.
0: So then how do you get those who are working for and or with you to not um, fear decisions that they're gonna have to make or fear the re- repercussions of a decision that may not, right? Turn i i love this phrase of the power of the pivot and with my team i'm always saying if it's a mistake it's fine with the pivot like yes. i don't like getting hung up on the mistake i say this was not the right decision it's right made we only really, we can talk about what happened later but let, what's our pivot so that we can keep uh, pushing forward. but how do you instill confidence in people to be able to do that what is it well, that you need to show them so that they take that on?
1: Yeah, and I've I've seen this dynamic play out in so many different ways. It's yeah. just mm-hmm. um, it, it's 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 kind of amazing to watch because you you'll see people, um, to your point, n- number one, either not make a decision. But what I see most often is when there's when there's that sort of uh, fear sort of permeates the organization or the team mm-hmm. with respect to that. Is you'll see people a decision is made, and there's all kinds of unintended consequences going on, but nobody won't say anything. Mm. And so um, you you after as a leader, you have to create an environment where it's okay to learn. Let's learn. I'm I don't know about other people, but look, when I make a mistake in some decision I made, and and I'm suffering of unintended consequences thereof, mm-hmm. a lot of times I don't wanna go through that shit again. Yep. So I'm all about how much can I learn from all this right here while I'm sitting in this rubble, how much stuff can I learn yeah. so I don't have to go through this again?
0: Well, look, cause you're in the rubble
1: already. Yeah.
0: Maybe like, get as much as you can out of it.
1: You get as much as you can out of that situation. So I ain't gotta do this again, right? <laughs> True and so and so it it and and listen i put formal processes in place like after action reviews or, or after project reviews mm-hmm. and how you handle that as a leader is everything cuz i if if i'm if i'm looking for who if i'm hunting who to hang if i'm looking to place blame oh, okay. right if i'm doing that I can pretty much hang it up. Nobody's yeah. coming to me telling me any bad news. It, hey, It's just like that. The Wicked Witch of the West and uh, the Wiz. Mm-hmm. Don't nobody bring me no bad, bad news. news. Look
0: at you quoting the Wiz. Not the <laughs> Wiz of the vibes For but our that, listeners.
1: It, it's so true, though. Yeah. Like, you know, if that's the environment you set up, if you set up an environment where you don't want to hear bad news, guess what? people not going to tell you the truth. Yeah. People not going to tell you what's really happening. Yeah. And now you're operating and making decisions that have may have little to do with the reality of what you're dealing with. Yeah. And so you want people to be ground, you want people with an aspiration towards the future and what you're going to create but you at the same time you want them grounded in reality and telling you what's really happening yeah. so that when you map out your strategy and your plan you're starting from a place of knowing where you're starting from
2: yeah
1: you can't get to, you can't get to point b if you don't know where you are at point a yeah. so that's my that's for me that's the big thing around creating what I would describe um, as, and again, some of these terms, people use them all the time. What I don't see a lot of times is people actually putting it into place and that's a learning organization. Okay. How How do you get collective learning in an organization where we're willing to sit down and talk about what went wrong, what went right, what are some things we can learn for this What are some things that we can change about the disciplines we have in the organization that's going to help us be better the next time? So that we're constantly not only learning, but we're constantly taking that learning and getting better and better over time. And that that improvement over time is what's going to set you apart.
0: So that would, I think, suggest to me that in an organization, because what you've described is a a particular organizational culture, right? Um, That then you as a leader, right, if you're the CEO, also need to make sure that you have a team who adopts those types of values and leads in the same kind of way. And, you know, in recent times, we've heard a lot about the importance of vulnerability, um, authenticity, um, transparency, um, as it relates to leadership, that leaders sh- should have those those traits and be able to demonstrate that. Those are not things that I think, certainly when I started my career many years ago, those were not the words that you would have heard describe a leader, right? But you have yeah. being vulnerable and authentic, being transparent with, with people.
1: And, there, and and there's a balance to all of that, I think. Um, yeah,
0: there probably is.
1: Yeah, I think, I think there's a certain... Um, the distance that a leader needs to have mm-hmm. just even to maintain your objectivity yes right and so and 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 people need to know and understand that that as a leader you have to maintain that objectivity um, and and it's not a good thing for your leader to be caught up in all the subjective views of the world it's like you gotta maintain some objectivity around what you're doing yeah and i think that again if people come to know you as you know both compassionate but objective i mean though that to me is the combination you really want right Mm -hmm. is is that but to your point though you have to you do have to be i think authentic Just in terms of how you operate, people look. That authenticity actually helps create your brand as a leader. the 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 more you're willing to show and share with people around the, you know, who the real you is, the easier it is for you to maintain your brand. Yeah, they they kind of know how you make decisions. To your point, they know what your your own personal values are. They know what your buttons are, mm-hmm. and and you know even to the point where they they know what your triggers are. Like you know, there <laughs> there are times yeah. when and we all do it, right? Man, is the boss in a good mood today? Yeah, <laughs> you know, you 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 all it, it go it happens, and you know kind of what triggers. The question just becomes, you know. When any of us are triggered, how quickly do we recover? Yeah. And do people know that you're willing to come back and even apologize, you know, for a situation that where you might have been triggered, where I was triggered. And I'm like, you know what? I just couldn't process what you were telling me at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so those are though I think those that ability to give people a window into who you are, I think. I think that's pretty important, but it but it also it builds the element of trust. But for those leaders that have that element of trust, it also gives your the the leaders who have decided uh, to trust you uh, with the mantle of leadership. It gives them the permission also to be authentic with their people.
2: Yeah,
1: it gives them permission, you know, to express what their values are and what what my goal is in in a lot of instances is is to understand the folks in my organization and the folks that have entrusted me with leadership enough that i understand them enough and i understand what motivates them enough to craft a shared vision that's going to excite them that 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 that's a part of what I need to do as a leader, and and so and I and and so much I've got to spend time with with those folks to understand that um, and understand what that shared vision. That's again where um, I can use my creativity and my imagination to like imagine and project forward a world that we build together that they're excited about. The potential of creating that with you that that's when i think you really have you know crafted a a vision or a shared vision that really works for the organization and works for your people
0: and do you think it's important that whatever your organization's vision is in some way aligns with whatever your own personal beliefs are
1: I think, do you think you that have those two to, things
0: have, go ahead. have to I'm be sorry. together? I was gonna say, do you think that those two things really do need, do they have to go together or is it just better if they go together? Better, together, uh, they,
1: together. They don't, I don't think they have to. I, mm-hmm. I think, yeah. I mean, it's, people buy into, you know, accomplishing goals and objectives all the time for, I mean, you know, they might do it just for, hey, I'm getting a bonus. Okay. Um, and so, but what, here's the difference. The difference is, I can provide you with incentives, and I can, you know, provide bonus structure, compensation, and and I can put in place, you know, um, uh, disincentives for the behavior I don't want to perpetrate or have multiply in the organization. Um, you can do all of that, but that I have come to realize that that only gets you, but so far. That what you really want is people to truly buy in. Yeah. What you really want is people to recognize when the structures that we are operating within are actually getting in the way of us achieving our goals versus living with that structure and everybody know you can't get there from here.
0: So how do you get away from the, but that's the way we always did it? Because that's a big chunk of the structure kind of getting in the way.
1: Uh, no question about it. And and I see it, I see it all around us. You people buy into just all kinds of expectations around how things ought to work based on how they worked in the past. Mm-hmm. And, and you really, you know, uh, I have, I've had this conversation with, with a buddy of mine around this. I and mean, We talk about this, this leadership thing all the time. You know, people either gonna going to uh, be motivated by, driven by their own personal internal values and a vision associated with that in terms of change, mm-hmm. or you know what? They're going to have to be on what they think is a burning platform. You that that's just kind of the way it works. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, we get comfortable. If you don't have anything that's motivating you to go out and create something different, if you don't have that every day, then, you know, hey, look, we're finding a way. We, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. Yeah. You know, particularly in the utility industry. Yeah. Oh, we've been doing it like this for a hundred years. Why do we got to change it? Yeah. And so uh, being able to craft that vision for, for people and help them understand. And here's the thing, I also, I, also, I keep a repertoire of stories that I share with people uh-huh. of, around how you can get yourself in a bind if you're not willing to change. And you know, and people tell. I, yeah, I know people tell this one all the time. But you know, the whole thing about uh, a frog and if, if you want to put a live, if you want to boil a live frog, you can't throw him in a, you know, a pot of boiling water. It immediately knows this environment is not suited for me. <laughs> Absolutely. And so, if you, if, but now, if you put him in a pot and you heat it up slow very gradually the little frog doesn't even know what's happening to him next thing you know you got a boy frog
0: that sounds so awful
1: yeah but that's what happens to us that's the
0: point that's (laughs) the okey-doke you don't okey-doke the the frog
1: yep just and, and and but it the environment around us is changing like that yeah all the time yeah. And if the pace of your change, let's, I'll just take an organization. If the organization is not changing faster than its environment, in terms of moving in the right direction, you are going to be a bullfrog at some point in time. Yeah. So what, what are we getting better at? You know, what is our vision? What are others doing in this same industry? You know, what are their strategies? Can they outmaneuver us? You know, we're competing. And you know, I, I and I, I have to be, I, I do, I'm I'm kind of sparing about how I use competition because you have to be careful about who you set up as the enemy. Yes. Because the very people you think or the very organization you might think is your enemy might actually be your best partner.
2: Yeah. I, so I agree. Best-
1: yeah, so you just got to be careful about that. Um, but if you, mm. you, I'm not, I'm not above using a little bit of competition to say, "Hey, look, they're outflanking us." Mm. You know, we, we got to get better at this. Um, but it's, I mean, some people are wired that way. You got to know your own people, right?
2: Mm. Yeah.
0: So one of the things that you, you said a little while ago, as you were, you know, talking about kind of getting people to follow you, but also. Um, I always think people know you, right? And the people who work for you and work with you know you. And the question really is, do they know you the way you want them to? Do those things like, so do the people who work for and with you um, describe their experience of working for and with you the way that you would want them to describe it, right? This is a person who, listens to what we have to say. I believe he's really empathetic about my feelings. I think he values my opinion, even if my yeah. opinion is that yeah. or do you, you know, and so how they talk about it, yeah, may or may so not be can, what I we want to hear you, reflected back. Right. I can
1: tell you I can tell you instances where the folks that I was leading had no idea that I was a compassionate leader. How does that and, feel? Uh, it it um how would i how would i put it those are times when i'm i i purposely shift into task and objective mode because the situation requires it
0: okay
1: if you're in a situation where the organization truly you know it needs to go through a a set of changes that the organization true has never been through before. And the, you know, it, you need to do it in a time frame when you can't explain it fully that people are going to accept it and, and think that that's, this was the right decision and so on and so forth, but you know, the organization needs to make those tough decisions so that you can move on. You know, it, it takes a while for, people to believe that you are that compassionate leader that will listen and so on and so forth, because the, the situation in that particular point in time required you as a leader to go ahead and make the tough call. Um, and, and you do, you have, there's some times when you gotta shut the noise out to make the tough call so that the organization can move forward. Um, and so you, as a leader, you gotta, you gotta be willing to, you know, be in that place alone. Most times not most times you have an inner circle, you know, that understands what you're doing and why you're doing it and that sort of thing. And you need that as a lead. every leader need that needs that. But there are times when as a leader, you need to be prepared to be alone.
0: That that's a a really big nugget, so it's taking me a minute because I'm I'm processing. It's a good one. It's just I'm like that's true. Um, I'm going to pivot because I do want to talk a little bit about Abe, right? And so you've been a leader in you know as an at AGL as an executive vice president, as the president of NICOR, as a senior. What was your remind me of your title at AIG because I know I yeah have it right.
1: So I was the global, the global head of supply chain, business transformation, and customer operations.
0: Right. So these are, I mean, very big jobs, a whole heck of a lot of responsibility, lots of different types of experiences. And now you're coming over to Abe, of which I am incredibly excited. Um, And I will tell you for a couple of reasons, right? Several reasons, actually. So first being just because I know you. And I just believe in my heart that there's not a better person out there. Um, But also because I think the experiences that you have had are what is gonna help the organization transform in some way. And I'm not sure what that transformation looks like on the other side, but I think it's here. And I think this is the right time for it. And I think you are the, the person to see how that shuffles through. And so I, I wonder if, if you could share some of your thoughts about, right, one, why Abe? Why, when you're doing all this really, really big, big stuff, would you come over to, what is really relatively a very small organization?
1: Yeah, and <clears throat> you, you could think of it that way. Um, but the reality is, you're providing, Abe provides the voice for an entire community. Mm and whether whether we have stepped into this role or not that i'm about to describe what what i'm what i see is that our our leadership and us providing a voice here in the united states in this moment as the american association of blacks in energy in this moment is really really critical and needed and to to help others to understand um, and do something about the aspirations of our entire community, both collectively and individually. Um, That's a big deal for me. And not only that, but I don't think we realize to the extent, when I say we, I mean those of us who are Blacks in energy in the United States. Mm-hmm. I don't think we realize, and I think a lot of it just has to do with our, our day-to-day struggle, right? We're, we're struggling still to achieve equity and, mm-hmm. and have people accept the diversity that we bring to the table. and and value it and all of that. we're struggling with all of that on a day-to-day basis. But if you think about it in a broader and bigger picture, there is so much we know about how this energy business works. And energy is an essential service. Yeah. It's essential all around the world. And we're part of a we're part of a bigger diaspora so if we're going to be the American Association of Blacks in Energy, you know what, what could and should our impact be in the diaspora? What should our impact be in, you know, the Caribbean? What should our impact be in Africa? What, what should it be? We we probably are the best trained of any in our di- diaspora you know we're probably the you know given given our given even our status you know within this socioeconomic structure but when you put us in a broader perspective right. of a global community of a global diaspora then you I think you start to see that for lack of a better better way to phrase it we're blessed so yeah. now how do we become a blessing for others? How, how, do we, how do we do that? And I don't have the answers to all of this, right right now I just got questions.
0: Yeah, but that's, so then you're really gonna love my next question. <laughs> cause I'm gonna ask you your question back. Yeah. How do you, um, cause you, you talked a little bit about, right? The struggle that it is to just be black in America and yep. all those things that you, you, you deal with, think about, yep. worry about, et cetera. And then you talked about, but there's this larger community that we can and should support and be a voice for and, and all these other things. And so the question really is, how have you been able to, irrespective of those struggles, um, have this passion for the community and this willingness to give so much more of who you are to this larger cause while at the same time you're dealing with the day-to-day stuff that you have to deal with as a black man, as an African-American leader, as an executive and all that stuff.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great question um, because there there are literally times when you wonder whether or not you're doing the right thing. Yeah. Um, and and there are times when you can look to your left and look to your right, and others seem to be making a bit more progress yeah. in the moment. Yeah. Um, but the one thing I I realize is, you know, there's that old thing about, you know, you can be climbing the ladder, and then all of a sudden realize, you know, the the place you were climbing to is not is not really what you had in mind or it's not, it's not quite as fulfilling as you thought it was. And so I, I have tended to be very intentional about if I'm going to achieve success, what I want it to really look like when I get there and the, the people I want to have impacted. Um, the fact that, you know, I think we, I truly believe this that there are that there are heights of success that we can't get to in and of ourselves, and and that you have to be connected. and And to what community are you connected to then? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, and we talked about compassion. I mean, is what how much love do you have for your own from what from where you came yeah um i just think that connected and it's not it's not just like any any other race creed what well, i mean i'm i'm all about inclusiveness i truly am but i'm i'm also about you know, recognizing from where you came. Um and 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 the fact that you know we are blessed in spite of our struggles. Yeah. It it doesn't mean it's easy, but and we got a lot of work to do. And I and I want I want equity. I I tell people I, I, I mentioned this to a friend of mine, he bust out laughing. He said, I said I'm not a mad black man. I'm just determined and passionate. Okay. And so you, I think you have to have that and you, and you have to, you have to realize that when push comes to shove, those that don't want you to succeed because of your race, you know, they're going to, they're going to always have, you know their tactics and strategies for how to keep you and your whole community away from the table away from the table of success yeah and you know it's certainly my goal that we connect with like-minded people people who recognize you know what we have to get done collectively and then, it, and then it just becomes now how do we organize ourselves and having belief and faith that we have what it takes. We have what it takes. We are capable, we, we are resilient, we can do this. Yeah. But we have to be willing to organize ourselves and, and, and we have to be willing to work together. And in some instances, we gotta be willing to set our egos aside and in a lot of instances, we have to be willing to let go some of our own myths wow. about who we are, about who we are personally and about who we are as a people. Um, there's so many times we've sort of, we bought into some of these myths. And to the, to the extent, and this is just for me, to the extent that I can help any one, even one person, realize that some of the myths that that they have bought into is self-limiting and self-defeating and if i can take help take that shackle off of somebody I, there's no greater joy for me as a leader than to see that happen i want to do that for my kids and i want i want i want people around me to tell me and you know what here, here's what I think's going on. Had you, have you thought about this? Did you know, you know, you were really good at this. You know, we need to encourage each other. Yeah. We need to, we need to believe in each other. And that, that don't mean I give you carte blanche. <laughs> right. You know, we right. got to be realistic about this thing too. Right. But, but we got to start from there and then adjust according to what we see and how people react and respond. Yeah. It's what I think. Yeah. So why Abe? Because I think it's the right organization in the right time with the right mission to make an impact in a field of human endeavor energy that I have spent, you know, my um on um, I mean my entire almost my entire career in this industry. So my my thing is, man, why not eight?
0: Yeah. Well, I'm just gonna add that that's why you're the right person. So I appreciate you spending some time talking with me. Thank you so very, much no, it's very my, much. My pleasure. And thank I will just say-
1: thank for letting me share.
0: No, I'm just, whenever I'm at a place where there's nothing more for me to say, then I know that's the end. And, and you've know, you known me a long time. For me not to have nothing yeah. else to say is yeah. quite the feat. That's right. So I would just say, you know, thank you, Ralph Cleveland. Um, and, and for those of you who are listening, I hope you have enjoyed all of our episodes of Always Bet on Black. Um, And we will be back in 2021. Thanks.